I'll tell you what, it's a lot more motivating to be the person who's passing folks oh, hell in yeah. the last 20 miles than the person that's struggling, limping home, totally ex exploded, and you're getting passed by everybody. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Being slouches. Today, we're going to talk about expectations. Great expectations? Not so much. No. The expectations that ultimately demolish your performance. Extreme, heightened, high-pressure expectations. Yeah, for the most part, expectations add stress. And then stress basically decreases performance. It's been known to. We're going to get into it, but first, I'm Coach Dale Sanford. I am Coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping time-crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube at Build Peak Compete and all up on that Instagram at BPC Performance. There you go. So before we get into the topic of today, we took a couple weeks off. Yep. We were both gone. Both went to different mountains. We went to different mountains, exactly the same distance in opposite directions. Which is pretty crazy. Figure that out. It turns out Colorado, Southwest Colorado is the same distance away as the Adirondacks. The Adirondacks. Yeah. From Memphis, Tennessee. So, real quick, just tell everybody how your vacation went. It was good. Durango. Yeah, headed out. We're kind of making this an annual thing now. So, Iron Horse Bicycle Classic, first race I ever did, is always on Memorial Day weekend. So, we packed the kids up, drove through the night, which is a long trip, 20-something hours. Long time. Long time. I raced on Saturday, ended up going well. Got third in the 35 to 44 category after nice. a, a bombing descent to, to catch third place. Brian descends well. Yeah. I knew looking at my size versus theirs that I had the advantage on the downhill more than the uphill. And luckily it finishes on downhill. It finishes downhill. So it was perfect. But then after that, yeah, just hiking, hanging with the family. It's good to get away, recharge. Awesome. How about you? Yeah. We went up to New York, see my grandparents. I haven't seen them since pre-pandemic. It's cool. We'll age it like that and ended up just kind of getting, I got a good ride in, rode from Port Henry, New York, which is on Lake Champlain to Wilmington, New York, which is where Whiteface Mountain is. And then I rode up Whiteface. It's a pretty, it's kind of an epic climb. It's, I've been wanting to do it for years and just never Wasn't did it. Like seven plus miles? It's eight. Eight miles. Eight miles, 3,600, almost 3,700 feet. Average is 8%. That's legit. You get, basically, I got above the clouds to the point where it was like ripping wind and misting rain. And I get to the top and I stop and immediately start getting cold because it's like 30 degrees colder up there. Yeah. And started getting icicles forming because I was sweaty, like climbing for over an hour. And just started getting icicles forming. I'm like, I got to get down. <laughs> this is a hypothermia start. I was like waiting for my family. Um, and so I ri started riding down the mountain and I'm like freezing. My hands are starting to not work and like getting icicles forming on the bike and on my legs and stuff. 
I stopped three miles down to move around and warm up. And then I got another mile down like the road, got below the clouds. And finally, the family came. I just literally threw the bike on the back, jumped in the car, <laughs> cranked the heat seaters, right. heat up. I was freezing. Ride is done. But I started, it started, it was 65 at the base of the no. climb. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You get up there in the wind and it's, it was gnarly. This is like way off topic, but that's one of the crazy things. Like with the difference between the effort and speed when you're climbing, high intensity, low speed, not a lot of wind. Like it's really easy to get super hot. I saw a bunch of people in the race I was doing, which goes up to nearly 11,000 feet. So many people were just bundled up. Whereas I was like unzipping. I had arm warmers for the descents, but I was like making sure those were down, took my gloves off because my hands were sweating. I was just trying to shed as much clothing as I could while the intensity was high, but have it available for going downhill at 50 something miles. So there was a, that evening, I knew it was happening, but I wasn't about to enter this. There was a time trial up the climb that evening and I would have never, I wouldn't have had a chance. (laughs) Did you go check Strava and see? Oh, I did. (laughs) Somebody, somebody beat the KOM under 40 minutes, 39 something minutes. Oh, geez. I mean, crazy. That's flying. Most of the top people are doing it under 45 minutes. Wow. I took it, I took it pretty easy, but it, it still took me like an hour and 14 minutes. Huh. So one thing people can do is if you look at VAM scores, V-A-M scores, you can either look at it on Training Peaks or Strava. If you're a Strava person has VAM and you can kind of see how your climbing would correlate to a time like that. You can go see what the VAM score was for the KOM on the climb he did. You can compare it to your local one if you're in Chattanooga or wherever you might be or climbs you've done. You can kind of see how you would rank, which is kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, totally recommend the Adirondack area, Lake Placid. All that uh, space in there is absolutely beautiful. You're still like below the really high elevations that really get to. Although when I got to top of Whiteface, I was feeling a little loopy, mm-hmm. but it's cool. The only bad thing about the Whiteface climb is I didn't know this, but three miles up it, you hit the welcome center gate and you have to pay $15 What to ride your bike the rest of the way up. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I wasn't real happy about that. I'd have been turning around. Nope. I was in. <laughs> I was all in. Uh. All right. So on to the topic of the day, it, it, we've seen it a million times. An athlete goes into a race with expectations that may even be warranted they may mm-hmm. even be achievable. like achievable, yeah. but having, just having that expectation there creates so much internal stress, whether they feel it or not, it's there. And then ultimately it bombs their performance. And then on the opposite end, we've seen it where we tell an athlete, just go do your best, just whatever you got on the day, just go do it. And go they end fun, up having a, yep. having a breakthrough day. Yeah, when the pressure is low, the expectations are low, the stress surrounding it is lower, it all is sort of like a trickle down. You you can probably think back to your last race if you're someone who's racing. If it was like a really big priority, especially if you're just doing one event per year, it's so easy for the pressure to mount. You've uh, adjusted your family life around it. You've invested a lot of money into it. And all these things are, it's all the eggs in one basket. 
and it affects your sleep. It affects, there's so many things leading into that that can really be magnified by having an unrealistic amount of pressure put on yourself due to wanting to either oftentimes exceed those goals that you have set for yourself. Yeah, everybody wants to transcend their fitness on the day, but that is incredibly difficult to do and it happens so rare. Mm. It does happen, don't get me mm. wrong, but it just happens very rarely. We try to not give athletes like goal times, placings. That's not something that we really put a lot of weight on. And the major reason for that is basically the three C's, these three things that are incredibly uncontrollable. So the first C would be the course. You do want to know the course and we've talked about Oh, for sure. Yeah. I didn't course, course recon and whatnot. But you have to understand that a hilly course is going to be slower. The route that I rode up in New York, I usually around here, I'll average riding solo and ride 100 miles and average 20, 21 miles an hour by myself. I did this 50 mile ride up there and I averaged 14 miles an hour. But I was basically going uphill for four, three hours and 45 minutes or something like that. You have to understand that hilly is going to be slower. If the course has like a lots of turns or like turnarounds, like you get 180 turns, there's some courses in there that have four 180 turns. That's a lot of speed lost. With like swim specific stuff, you might go with or against a current. That's going to affect your time. Water temperature with or without a wetsuit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then even swim court, like swim courses are the biggest variable. Year to year, even if you've done the same race multiple times, guaranteed, those buoys are not in the exact same spot year <laughs> after year. We're talking hundreds of yards can be added or subtracted from a course from year to year, and it's going to affect your time. Even just looking at, so just as recently this past weekend, Unbound, one of the probably the biggest gravel event, definitely in the US, but probably around the world right now. I was looking at breakdowns on because th there was like a three or four mile section where it was mud and people were having to push their bikes, carry their bikes. If you were going in with an expectation of a certain time and you hit something like that on the course, it totally would might throw whatever goal you had from a time standpoint out. If you're having to hike a bike for three and a half miles, it's something that's out of your control and could totally derail your mindset for the rest of the race, because now you're not going to achieve that goal you thought or you really wanted to achieve. Absolutely. And the main point that I want to put out there, one of the main points is that the longer your event is, the le the less you want to put expectations on it because the unknowns become greater and amplified. Course things, elevation, the type of gravel that you're going to hit, if you're doing gravel, the type of gravel that you're going to hit, some is really packed and fast. Some of it is really chunky, sharp. Like you have to understand that those gr types of gravel are going to roll faster or slower. Triathlon specific transition, like distance to transition. I've had transitions that are a third of a mile away from the water. So you're running ways away and that's just more time added to T1. So it's just course stuff. Heck, you can get the swim canceled. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. Yep. And that's just something out of your control, really. Yeah. So if you're all this say, if you're putting all of your merit on or if you're trying to go for a PR course is going to have 
a giant impact on that. If you're doing a 70.3 in Memphis, it's going to be different than Chattanooga. It's going to be different than Texas. There's, there's a, the courses being different is going to, or should change your expectations on how fast you might go on that course. Yeah, sure. I had an athlete this weekend who raced Blue Ridge and I would say transcended her fitness on the day on a very difficult course because that race has a really brutal climb in it. And then the descent on the other end was windy, wet, like it was similar to what I experienced up in New York. So the bike course is really tough. And then she ended up having a really good run off the bike and had a great day, great PR, like did she go in into that one with an expectation of a PR? No. Or was it going? No, it was, I told her on the front end, uh-huh. look, go in, you're ready, you're fit. Just follow the, follow your nutrition and hydration. And I'll put this, I put this point in here later, but we set some like effort regulators for her and mm-hmm. that was it. Just yeah. go by feel. And had she followed those regulators, on the run, she wouldn't have had the she wouldn't have had as good of a run. She went mainly by feel on the run and had a fantastic run, weighted based on previous training. Yeah, which is part of the reason us as coaches don't like to say, "Hey, here's the average power we want you to hold. Right. Here's the heart rate we want you to be at. Here's the speed we want you to be at." Like how you show up on race day. We don't necessarily know. You could be getting sick. I have an athlete that just this past weekend didn't have a great Saturday, was disappointed, was kind of upset about his fitness and how everything was going, and then woke up Sunday feeling totally sick and under the weather and it's, oh, well, (laughs) there you go. You never know. You may not feel sick on race day, but you may come to find out that was actually taking place and you just didn't know it. You didn't have the same energy levels. So if you try to overshoot what your body is capable of on the day or on the flip side, like you're saying with Mel, like if you're underdoing it because you're trying to just ride to a number rather than how you're feeling or run to a number, then you could be leaving a lot out there. Yeah, absolutely. C number two. Conditions. Conditions. Mother nature. Yeah, that's a it's a huge one, really. More or less, if you're if you've chosen this race, you've chosen a course, you should know what the average conditions that time of year should be and you should prepare for those. Yeah. Prepare for as much as you can and then don't worry about the rest. The big ones, the heat and the humidity are massive. Cold, you might get a day where it's like really cold. The wind on a lot of courses, the wind is can be just as bad as a hilly course. And then on the flip side, you might catch a nice tailwind on certain sections and you might go faster than you thought, but that's totally out of your control. Rain is a big one. That's a safety, obviously a safety concern. So you may have to slow down based on your comfort level riding in the rain. Obviously mud unbound is obviously a great example here. Yep. This is past weekend. Yep. The, that mile 11, right around mile 11, where the, everyone hit the peanut butter mud and people's drivetrains were getting all clogged up and it was a mess. Yeah. But, and there can be times where conditions are so extreme that it's now pushing your duration out past what you were even training for on the long end. Right. So there, it could be a situation where you thought it was going to be a six hour event. And now because of 
everything that's going on. It could be eight, nine, even longer. And that could be way outside what your body and what you're used to. If you're a time-crunched athlete, when you start pushing out past six, seven, eight hours, that's something that's just tough to simulate in training. And so going more off feel and just getting the best you can, given the conditions you're in, is whether or not, in our minds, whether or not it's a a successful day for you. Yeah. The heat and humidity, since we deal with it so much around here, we're pretty used to it and used to adapting for it. But it is a, it's definitely a case for slowing. When you're, when you are dealing with feels like temps that could be over a hundred degrees, you have no choice but to slow down. You're, when the outside temperature is greater than your internal core temperature, you're going to soak up some heat. And as soon as your core temperature bumps up, your body's going to start shutting stuff down. So realistically, you will get the best time on the day if you accept the fact that it's too hot and we need to slow down a bit and prolong that point where Mm -hmm. your core temperature gets too high and you start to overheat. That's where, yeah, that's where avoiding heart rate spikes is big time. Because as soon as that heart rate goes up, when the temps are super high and the heat index is high, it's very hard to recover from that and get the heart rate. It's kind of like going to altitude. If you spike heart rate when there's no oxygen, it's very tough to bring that down without an extended recovery period time, which generally isn't good for overall performance when you have to stop to recover. Don't recommend it. Rev limiter. It's like the governor on a car. You got to put the governor on the car when it's super hot or super high altitude. Yeah, 100%. C number three. Out of your control. Who shows up? Yeah, competition. Now, so this would be if you're going for a placing, right? So the other stuff we're talking more about time, like PR time-wise. Now we're shifting more to the, if you're someone going in with a big placing in mind, I want a top three, I want a Kona spot, I want to qualify for Worlds, like whatever it may be. That sort of depends on who shows up, right? Yeah, you definitely need to know who is strong, especially in the case of a bike race, cycling, like mm-hmm. because that person could could steer the way that their race unfolds. So you need to know who's strong, but you can't really worry about who shows up if you're going for a placing in the case of a triathlon. Yeah. So, you know, how someone else in the race affects your race is not really something you can worry about. You just obviously need to somewhat prepare for varying levels of intensity. In a bike race, you don't get to choose when someone else attacks nope. or when a move goes. You just, you get to choose whether or not to react to it. So realistically, competition is other than occasionally on in a triathlon, you might get in a scenario where you're on the bike and this has happened quite a bit to me, but you get where you're riding with someone and they'll pass you and you drop back. And then you feel like you're not going fast enough. So you pass them and they drop back and then they, so you do this dance and ultimately it slows both of you down. That that's some way that a person on course can affect your race. Obviously, if they crash you out, that's a whole nother story, but, but yeah, you can get into like little pole matches like that out on the bike course, but it's somewhat out of your control unless you want to put in a huge dig to drop the person, which generally isn't a great choice. For those in the cycling world, I always find the tactics get a lot easier when you have the one hitter that shows up. If you know there's one person that's like the not going to miss the move is going to be there. If he's not in the move, it's coming back. 
that makes tactics pretty easy. You just wait till that person goes and either you can follow or you can't. <laughs> it does make things a little bit easier. <laughs> so how can we improve our expectations and confidence going into a race so that we can go in with less stress and more reasonable or lesser expectations? One of the big things that we always try to do is we prepare the best that we can in the last eight eight-ish weeks for the course and the conditions. So we do we do course recon and we do a little bit of research on the area. And then we're gonna do everything we can in training to simulate those demands. Yep. And it may not be the same. Like for my race I just did, I went from we're at 350 feet or so here in Memphis. And the start point of the race I just did was 6,500 feet going up to 11,000 feet. Like you can't really, you can't really prepare for the altitude. So that out of my control, I didn't even worry about it. Going from being a flatlander where it's rolling hills here, everything's short to lots of steady state stuff leading into the event. I did some longer, flatter blocks where I knew I could keep a steady cadence and tension on the pedals and that's I did the best I could to simulate the demands of what was going to happen for the race but at the end of the day like if you're going into a long climbing race and you're living in a flatter lower elevation area you can't stress about how you're going to handle that you just got to go show up do the best you can and then see how it all works out on race day see how you feel on the look if you race enough you're going to get a lot of opportunities to either have good days, bad days, really bad days, or really good days. There's going to be a mix no matter no matter what, unless you one of those folks that just gets into the sport, checks the box, and yep. says deuces. Which is the reason, and we've talked about this before, this is the reason we like people to do more than one race. Like We don't want you to have just one goal race for the entire year. Because it does put, so it's like impossible for it not to put stress on you. Unless you are someone that the goal is just, okay, I'm going to show up and complete it. And I know I can do it. I'm going to go super chill on the day. I don't care how long it takes. I'm just going to finish. Okay. You might be okay with having very little stress there, but 99% of you, 0.9, 99.9, that's not going to be the case. And so having other races along the way, when you look back on the season, you're going to see where some of the highs and lows were and take wins from maybe some of those races you didn't think were going to be great at all. It's usually the ones where you went in with no expectation because they weren't a goal race. Like happens all the time. And in the cycling world, it's like the people that are say it's a B race, they're fit, but they're not, it's not a goal race. That's where a lot of folks end up racing different than they would maybe racing more aggressive doing things because the pressure's off that puts them in a successful position and suddenly they're like well <laughs> i'm in the breakaway like this is <laughs> i didn't mean to be here i wasn't supposed to be here but awesome and you get a great result because of it absolutely so like long course people if and by long course i'm talking like long course triathlon gravel if you're doing 100 plus mile gravel events I would say anything, if your event is over four hours, listen up. So your best bet is to set, basically you set effort regulators, not pace goals, pace and power goals. So you know where the, like the top end should be or where that 
if you cross this line, it's going to burn a match. That's what you want to know and avoid going too high on the scale there. So you set pace and power regulators, not pace and power goals. Generally speaking, what I'll tell people, and this is just an example, but I'll tell people like for a half iron bike leg, I'll get them. To, we don't want to go over your five minute max, like recent five minute max for more than a minute. And if, and that's usually like on a hill or something mm. like on a climb, like you want to try to avoid going a minute deep into your five minute max. Like that's a regulator. And then obviously we have an idea of what an average should be, but it's not, if you get halfway through that bike and you feel grand, push it ramp it up yeah and again it goes back to conditions as well like i i always tell and like on a time trial what the wind is on the day is going to dictate when you push more and when you can serve a little more so if it's headwind out we're not going to try to have you go easier out and then push it the way home i want you to go harder into the headwind section which may mean not having as much on the back half. It's not going to be like a negative split, so to speak, where the second half power is better than the first half, but you're going to have a better time by going harder the first half, even if you're limping home. And again, you got to have those regulators in place where it's not you're blowing yourself up in the first five minutes, but the conditions on the day really impact how you should be pacing it. Yeah, generally speaking, on the longer events, that's not a great strategy, regardless on regardless of the course, because the event is so long, mm. fatigue is going to set in at some point, and you would rather have. I would much rather an athlete have juice left in the tank for the last twenty miles than yeah. know, have gone out too hard just to stay with a lead group for the first twenty. Now, if you're racing for the win, then you know, go for it. See how long you can stay in. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then you just limp in. That's if mm -hmm. that's your if that's what you're going for. Great. But there's no reason to go out hard just to bank fast miles in any case and then suffer the rest of the way. It just doesn't work. It's rarely going to net you the best time on the day. And if you're doing something like a triathlon, that run is going to be not so fun. Absolutely. If you blow yourself up on the bike. So one of the other things we always suggest for people, especially do people doing long course, is that instead of focusing on like hitting an average power or something like that, that focus more on hitting your fueling goals and your hydration goals and just generally holding good form. Mm. Generally, if you can focus on the fueling and the hydration and then your, your cadence and your posture and all that stuff stays intact, you're going to be putting out a good effort. Yep. Yeah, I always like to tell my folks like you know, for the long event stuff, I want you in the last, like entering the last quarter, feeling like you've got plenty left. So if you can get to that, say 75 mile of 100 and you're not feeling totally blasted, then that's a really good thing. Or maybe it's 60 miles for you, but it's so easy to overcook that front end and get to mile 60 and be totally smoked either because you weren't paying attention to nutrition, you're fueling like you should be, or because you went way too hard and had unrealistic expectations on how hard you could go early on. And those last 40 miles, you end up giving way more back than you gained on the first 60. So it's like it even more important for those who haven't gone super long before, 
Like if it's your first time, like we went and did a rule of three. It was a long day. It was a long day. And it's one of those that we were on a team and early on, <laughs> it was, I was- complications. Yeah. We had some stuff happening, flat tires, whatever. And there was one section of the gravel. We'd got out of the, out of the single track and I remember riding and like looking at heart rate and going off perceived effort. I'm like, I, guys, do you feel like you're riding too hard? Because I feel like I'm kind of riding too hard for how far we've got to go. And Dale goes, yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> but it was one of those. We were what, 25 miles in of a hundred mile event. And it was like, it was not going to be sustainable. So fortunately we have the experience in doing long stuff, but you know, it can get, it's easy to get caught up in going way too hard early. So if you have that mindset of, I'm going to control my nutrition, I'm going to pace myself. So I know I'm going to feel good at mile 60, 70, 75, then there's a good chance that you're going to be in a good spot. You're still going to finish smoked, but you're going to be in a much better position and have a better overall result if you do. Yeah. You can always empty the tank mm. late in a race. If mm -hmm. you feel like you maybe went a little bit too easy, just empty the tank. Don't finish feeling great. <laughs> I mean, realistically, if you're going for a the fastest time on in any case, you should not finish feeling great. No. You should finish feeling like you left it all out there. It, you can always pace the front end early, save it for the last 20, 25%. And then if you get to the last 10%, and you're feeling way good, just put the, mm -hmm. put the gas on. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot more motivating to be the person who's passing folks oh, hell in yeah. the last 20 miles than the person that's struggling, limping home, totally ex exploded, and you're getting passed by everybody. So much more motivating. Both In both those scenarios, you're suffering. And in one, it's a motivated suffering because you're passing people. And in the other, it's a demoralizing suffering I never want to do this again kind of suffering because now you're getting passed by everyone. Yeah, that's a good point. So what are some things? So I know there's some people that are probably thinking, okay, but what if I'm like, I'm literally training for a specific goal time, like run, like a running race or a time trial or something like that, where, you know, th this can be, I would say in the world of triathlon, goal times are far less relevant because the course can change year to year, especially with the swim. It has to be a very apples to apples comparison, but for the most part, a run race course or a time trial course that's held year after year, those are pretty predictably the same. Now we know that the conditions on the course can change year mm -hmm. after year. Yep. But what are some of the things that you can do for somebody who's going for a very specific goal time to reduce the overall expectation and go in just more confident and ready to rock it? Number one is you've got to hit those in training. So if you've if you develop the confidence in your training, you apply it on race day. So having a goal time or a goal speed in mind and not hitting that in training is, as a coach, we need to readjust our goals on race day. We're not just going to hope you show up on a great day 
and have you go out and try to blow yourself up and see if you can hold it. The shorter the event, the easier it is to have pace goals as well, I would say. Um, again, you mentioned it earlier. The longer that course is, the more stuff can go wrong and the harder pacing is. There's so many more variables. The impact of the sleep the night before and the night before that, you're fueling. All of that gets magnified when a course is long. It's not as much if you're someone that's doing a 5K or if you're doing a 20K TT. Those are shorter sub 30 minute for a lot of folks style events. But number one with my athletes is we got to do it in training. And if you can do it in training, there's a good chance you can do that or better on race day. And with my athletes, I say, okay, well, here's what we know you can do. Let's start there. First half, let's peg it at what we know you can do. Empty the tank the second half. Yeah. Yeah. The big key there is don't go in expecting to transcend what you've done in training. No, start with what you know you can handle. And then if you're on a bad day, you're on a bad day. But if you're, if that's, if your goal is that time, then you have to go into it knowing you may not achieve it. And it should be, and the way I approach it for myself personally is I'm going to either hit this or I'm going to blow up and I'm going to be last place. If my goal is that, if my goal is first place, I don't really care about second place or third place. I'm going to go out and have an average speed for kind of a quick, like thinking about a 40 K TT. If I'm going to have a time that I know I think is what you have to do to win it. And I end up getting out there and I can't, I just can't do it. I know conditions are the same as the year before. I know the people are the same as the year before then. Okay. Well, if you're okay with crashing and burning, <laughs> fine. But, but no, that's a risk you run. If you end up trying to go above your ability levels, or if you totally disregard what your body is telling you on race day, most people after the adrenaline wears off the first two minutes, you can really tell pretty quickly whether you're on a good day or not. I've done that a few times. Oh yeah. And that's where going back to, if we're talking about how to pay something, the excitement level is high. Minute one, you don't feel much on a, especially a shorter, harder event. The PR. adrenaline's there. You're like, wow, I can't even feel my legs. This is great. And then it hits and that blood lactate starts building up and you realize, uh, I should not have gone out at my peak one minute power for the first 45 seconds of this event. Um, so that's where having the effort regulators having a, I'm not going to push my five minute number peak five minute of the last three months for the first five minutes of a 40 K or that's going to be bad. So moral of the story is know what you're capable of and don't try to exceed that at least in the first half of Correct. the race. Correct. Don't self-sabotage in the first half. And the only exception I would have would be like, and I, in most scenarios probably wouldn't tell my athlete to do this, but like for me personally would be if, if I know the whole, my whole goal and we've got some folks that like, they want to go set personal record and that's, this is the course to do it on. These are the conditions to do it on. They see that the conditions on the day are good for it. Then Okay. If that's what you want to do, go for broke and see what happens. But even still, like you got to listen to your body. Like <laughs> You're going to find out pretty quick, <laughs> but you need to know your mentality too. If you're someone who's going to then get demoralized by that and not want to stay in it, then 
you may find out like the athlete I was talking about earlier who woke up sick the next day. And that's the reason why you didn't have the performance that you did on the day. Yeah. So to kind of pull this all in, realistically, you need to go into your race, basically say a million times, trust your training. You've done the work. If you know that you haven't done the work, <laughs> then there's cause for concern there. But And then be more conservative right. in your approach to the race. Start even easier. Right. But otherwise, just go into the race knowing that you're ready and do the best that you can on that day, on any given day. I can't tell you, I'm honestly like, I can't tell you the last time that I went into any race with a goal time. I mean, maybe a range, but a pretty wide range mm-hmm. of goal times. I just, it's just... That's probably why I'm still in the sport after 15 years, 15 plus years, is because I learned a long time ago that if I set all these expectations when I didn't achieve those, it was really demoralizing. I'm a competitive person. I hate losing. And to me, not achieving a goal, set goal is losing. So I just don't set them. And then I end up having a lot of better results because of it. No, for sure. And that's where racing a lot is helpful because, okay, well, there's, I've got the next one still. This was an off day. I'm not going to sit, put all my worth on how my performance was on this one day. I'm going to learn from it and then apply what I've learned to the next one and just try to keep getting better along, along the way. But like you said, the, all you can ask of yourself is to give the best that you've got on the day. And that may be much better than your expectations. It may be worse than your expectations, but so long as you gave everything, you applied your race plan, you followed your nutrition, did the stuff you needed to beforehand, you did the preparation you needed to, all you can ask of yourself is just giving your best, not quitting. And you should be happy knowing that you gave that 100%. Yeah. If you gave it all. All right. I think that about sums it up. If you guys have any other take on it, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, we appreciate everyone hanging out, listening, watching. We'll catch you guys next time. Adios. Peace.